Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And we'll be discussing Fulham's draw against Bournemouth on Friday night. Not quite enough to throw a party over or even a small gathering with cheese and wine and certainly no social distancing involved, but still a valid point in the circumstances that we can be pleased about. We'll be having the final word on that and previewing Luton Town on Saturday as Fulham look to get back to winning ways at Kenilworth Road. And here on the Thursday Club is Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Peter, it feels like the After the Lord Mayor's show chatting to you this week. The uh, the buzz has slightly died down. The the fury has has weakened, has softened slightly. Um, after what was a, it was a busy week for you. You were an in-demand man this time last week. I know, I know, but my popularity has declined in this week. But, um, you know, it's what it is. We had, we had our time, we had our moment in the sun and uh, now it has set. Well, um, let's get into some last word then from Friday. Um, Peter, it was an incredible atmosphere at the cottage. Um, the noise when Tosin Adarabayo equalised in the 84th minute was just quite something. And we talked this time last week about how there was so much narrative going into that match. And it was a game packed full of narrative. I think it was a superb match from a neutral perspective. One of the best championship football matches I think that's ever been played. And I don't think that's too strong a statement. It was brilliant from start to end. And both sides, both sides played their part. It was, it was a really good game. Uh, I felt like it was a Premier League game. It certainly played at a Premier League intensity. Um, as you say, both sides did play their part. I thought uh, Fulham were very good for most of the game other than, you know, the 60 seconds in which Bournemouth catched them out. It was a cleverly worked routine, wasn't it? The um, eight seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys uh, dissected it really well in, uh, in the podcast over the weekend. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. The atmosphere was fantastic. I think, I mean, I, I've only had a handful of games really with, with supporters in you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it was definitely the best one from from my perspective. Um, I think the Liverpool game, uh, when fans returned for the first time uh, a year ago, um, yeah. um, was definitely up there. It, was, it felt a bit like that, but just multiplied by the fact there were so many people there and there was a, a real buzz before the game. And I think everything around it contributed. You had the pantomime villain, you had two very good teams, top of the table and, um, and the game lived up to it, which was really good to see. Uh, I was impressed with the way Fulham were able to pin Bournemouth back despite a high intensity. They, they came out quite strongly, Bournemouth. And, and while they did threaten, I thought Fulham had a really good grip on the game. And, um, you know, we, 
they should have won it. I think that's, that's, that's pretty clear, but I think there's a lot of encouragement to take from that. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, some, some striking comparisons too, to what's gone before with a, a Scott Parker team. You could almost see what he was trying to do a bit last year. I think that was pretty evident. Um, he wanted that high pressing counter-attacking team and he's, he sort of got that at Bournemouth probably with players like Dominic Solanke who, who maybe suit it a bit more. Um, but then they're inexplicable like retreat in the second half um, where they tried to protect what they had and which felt almost naive to be honest against a Marco Silva Fulham side which create chances for fun and and I mean I don't know about you guys but I, I expected Fulham to equalise you know I just the way oh. the pattern of the game was going I wasn't even wasn't yeah, even have this club for a long enough time I know, well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, it wasn't even just historically Fulham I just thought from what I've seen of Fulham trying to come back this season that's our first point from yeah. a losing position, I said to my dad with 15 minutes to go, we aren't scoring all evening. I was so shocked when, when Tosin put it in the net. So in a way, of course, it was a naive plan from Parker with hindsight with 10 minutes to go. I thought he'd going to, he was going to pull off an absolute, I, I couldn't have bared. I couldn't it have was, bared the outcome if it had finished one nil. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because like Fulham had all the chances second half, aside from the first, six seconds um and and then you go right and there was the but there was the chances in the first half there's the penalty not given there's the unbelievable steve cook double block um, and then cabano prods wide the one comes back he goes wide of the post and you're just thinking it's not going in is it it's just not it's going to be one of those evenings where we huff and puff and the house just doesn't fall down um and and some and i, I almost resigned myself to it i was like look it's a good performance it doesn't matter we're still gonna be up there towards the end of the table you know end of the season we're still gonna go up automatically i think Think this is a decent showing and yet it came and it was just that moment of pure relief that was the I think that was the overwhelming emotion I wonder if Peter that's from your you know slightly more neutral perspective that you've got in that because in the Hammersmith end I think we, I, I I I mean maybe I was on my own but I was adamant this was not going to be our night that there was no way we were going to score as much as the chances were were coming and and, and just not going in I haven't been tainted by history so much as you guys, I suppose. Um, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I, genu I genuinely thought Fulham would score. I just, one thing we've seen with... Um, you were right. Mark, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the one thing we've seen with Marcus Silva's side this year um, has been their ability to find different ways to go. Um, you know, whether it's a team sitting in a block, whether it's um, an early set piece, um, they do have a lot of different tools in their armory now. And the way Bournemouth sort of fell back onto their penalty area, the way they just dropped deeper and deeper because it, it, it was so surprising because after they scored, there was a small spell before I think Parker brought on Ben Pearson where Bournemouth were completely on top of Fulham. They were pressing with even more intensity than they were in the first half. I, I genuinely thought at this point, I, Fulham might be in a bit of trouble here. Like this is completely shocking. They've lost their feet. Um, and then they just dropped, they just dropped it. Um, and it felt like a conscious decision to do that. And, it didn't really make any sense in that moment. It felt like this was their period to to punch Fulham and really knock them down, and um, they didn't take it. And uh, and you know they were they were punished for it. And it just the thing is, I know Fulham were missing chances. I know Niskins Cabana missed that missed that open goal at one point as well. But they were just creating them with such regularity. It wasn't like they were sitting and it was just like a block and they were passing around, you know, in a, in a semicircle in front of the the Bournemouth defence. You know, they were they were creating stuff. They were finding holes. They were finding gaps and. Um, and it was a really good goal. Tom Kenny made such a difference um, with those deliveries from out wide. Um, 
uh, almost picking up those pockets. When, and because Bournemouth was so deep, they just didn't pick him up. It was, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, you know, I think they, they will see it potentially as a missed opportunity, really, because I think it, it may have been, even though Fulham dominated the game, it's just yeah. the nature of football and how it can work. And um, of course, afterwards, Scott Parker said it was was fine margins, but I, 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 <laughs> I mean, so we've heard him say that for the last I, year. Yeah, now. I know. I, I, <laughs> um, and TM. It, it, I mean. You got a fine margin to get ahead, but it, it, yeah, that wasn't a, a case of that. I don't think. I think this was considering how the game swung. There, there was an opportunity there, but um, a good. It's a good point. Obviously, Fulham, you know, should have got three, but I think a point, a point's okay. Keeps things as it were, as everyone. And, and the late goal, you know, that's that's always a bonus. My question to you, Jack, is it felt after the game like it was a tight election, and both sides were kind of claiming victory. Who did come out of this better? Because obviously my initial hunch would be Fulham. We rallied, we played better. We got the late equaliser. Um, we're still top of the league, but Bournemouth come out of this. And, and, and to me, Scott Parker comes out of this very, very well. He had an injury crisis. He, they played brilliantly in parts. They scored a fantastic goal. They got a point that they definitely would have taken beforehand. So for me, I, I genuinely cannot work out who came out the better for, from this kind of objectively. I suppose it's a bit on as even, isn't it? You know, it's split decision points. Like it, it does feel like there was no knockout blow landed. Obviously it was a one all draw. But when you, when you look at the game as a whole and you think, would Bournemouth have been delighted with a point before the game? Yes. Did, were they ruining those kind of opportunities to go and take and take the initiative afterwards? Probably also. Yes. Well, if, if Fulham had gone one nil up and conceded a late equalizer, would it have felt the same as scoring a late equalizer? No. And so that's what I mean. Narrative matters. And you remember what I said to you about, <laughs> we were talking about playing the horn, right? I was like, if we win and we either win by two goals or we get a late winner, like that was the kind of difference. And I think that's it. It's about how it feels. And look, the game was stretched. If you said it already around narrative, right? It was, it was built around all of these different things that were, they're going up and up and up. And actually what happens there is it comes to it. And none of that narrative actually inevitably plays off. Bournemouth would be delighted with the point. Fulham are happy with the late equalizer. Didn't lose 10 unbeaten top of the league. I felt like it was relatively honours even. And and I'd imagine that, you know, after the dust has settled and all of that, you'd be listening back to Bournemouth podcasts or whatever it might be that you're listening to this week to try and gauge the opposition kind of view. And they'll probably be saying, yeah, we were a little bit lucky, but we got away with a point. So that's a decent result. And we're going, okay, we spurned a couple of opportunities, but ultimately we're still top of the league. That's a decent result. And I think it's probably that for both sides, right? Yeah, I, I thought that um, it was a bit strange, Peter, that, that Dennis Adoy still got the nod over Kenny Tete. I think at the time when that goal went in, I was livid with Dennis Adoy. I was thinking that he's really messed up for the goal that Solanke scored and it was a lack of concentration. And then I watched back the replay a couple of days later and I thought, it's just an exquisite goal. It's it's not the top 20 said it's like a set piece. It was a set piece goal, but from kickoff in, in, in open play, it was, it was rehearsed to a T it was, it, and, and you wrote it in your piece. It was, it was, it had, it had shades of the Joe Bryan free kick meticulously planned, executed immaculately. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to plan those things and it's it's another to pull it off. And so you have to give credit where it's due. It was clearly well thought out in terms of movement. Um, 
it was a set play. I think that's the probably the best way to, de- to describe it as in, you know, rather than a set, an actual play, it's been, it's a set designed play, isn't it? So, yeah. um, I still, I still think defensively you've got to have some criticism there because they have, they, you know, Silver said they went to sleep. They did. I mean, they were, they were flat. I mean, nobody expected it. Sure. But, um, you can see Dennis Adoy is a couple yards behind the back line as it drifts and, and, and there's just, there's no communication in that gap. It was a gap that they wanted to exploit all game long with, with Solanke in that sort of left half space area. And, and it, that worked pretty well, I thought, um, so yeah, there has there's definitely a criticism element, but but as you say, no one expected it. They've clearly saved it for for a moment like this. I know they said they they worked on it in, on Thursday in training, but we we, we know all about um, those sort of details from from what Parker and his team did at did at Fulham, and yeah, the, the Joe Bryan in the playoff finals is a classic example of that because it's just those. I'm not. I was going to say it. I was really going to say it then, but I'm going to stop myself. Um, those, <laughs> those those small moments. <laughs> in games can be really influential and it nearly was i mean it got them a point um and it changed momentum in, in the contest so um for, from that perspective yeah it was it was well thought out and you, you could clearly see that they had a, a distinct game plan even the way they set up was was different you know the forwards were wide Brian christie was in that free roll um he was popping up in different areas philip billing was a bit more reserved first half i felt and then second half pushed on a little bit more um but then uh, they'd never got a grip in midfield and that's where they were, they were undone slightly. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the goal itself, yeah, you, can, you know, that's, that's what they do. And that's, that, that's, that, that can be, the, but we've seen it with Fulham as well this year. I mean, we have to say, you know, in terms of Marco Silva's corners, they have an absolute load of routines that they cycle through. We touched on the NBA style picks that they do with the blocks, which you haven't seen so much since did that piece. So uh, maybe, maybe it's just gone a bit yep. too public now, um, but there, there are always, you ruined are, it. I know, I know, I know. Um, but you there, and the, your analysis. Oh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know, the, the, that's what the best teams have to do. You have to find different ways to unlock um, yeah. bolted doors. Um, that's what they did. Um, in terms of the table, Jack, um, obviously it did give a little bit of an open door to, to, teams like West Brom to get a couple of points back, but I still look at everything right now and it, it's a, it's a healthy lead. We'll come on to the Luton game in a second, but this is still a very, very nice position for Fulham to be in. And, you know, the next couple of games it is actually a, still a time where Fulham can get a bit of a march on Bournemouth considering that they've got two very, very difficult fixtures, Blackburn at home on Saturday and then away to Middlesbrough. Um, at 12.30 on a Saturday. I think if we thought that we were hard done by with the Preston 12.30, um, Bournemouth to Middlesbrough, <laughs> there is a coach. I saw a tweet about it. I think you tweeted yeah. this, Peter. There is a coach leaving from a suburb of Bournemouth to that Middlesbrough game that leaves at one in the morning. Yeah, their buses start in Weymouth and they move across. So it's going to cross to, they do little stops. So one in the morning for a half 12, I mean. Who is getting the bus at 1am? That is insane. Well, it depends, I suppose. If there's no, um, if there's no transport, you got to do what you got to do, right? Oh, it's got to be better. Stay up the Friday night, surely. Yeah, yeah. Surely, Friday night, yeah. Friday do night get a hotel, please. Ideally, yes. Ideally, that is that is the case. I think. But you know, anyway. Good. Sorry, back to the table. But yeah, I just that was a smaller side that I saw on Peter's Twitter and it did make me laugh. Yeah, look, we obviously we've got in a massively good position, and we've got to look at this and and keep it right. It's it's a bit different because we've not been in this position before we've been chasing every time we've gone up of late we've been chasing the pack we've been trying to force our way into the top two we've been you know in in that kind of 
well, in, in literally the position that, that West Brom and, and QPR and the lot find themselves in right now, that's been us, right? We've been that and we've had better second halves of the season than we've had first halves. Now, if we do that, we're going to go out. If we have, you know, if we have a better second half of the season than we've had a first half, we're going to go out with a record points tally. Um, but I think what we're, we're looking at here is just Fulham maintaining momentum, right? And not letting things like Friday night derail us, not letting moments... There are going to be tough moments. You know, when we're not going to sit here and pretend that Fulham are going to win every game from here to the end of the season. It just doesn't happen in the championship. It's too, it's too bizarre a league for it to, to, to that to be the case. What we have going on is that Fulham are in a massively good position. And if we lose the odd game, if we, you know, slip up like we did at the Rico Arena, like we did at Coventry, we have to kind of take that on the chin and go, okay, bad result, real bad result. Let's not let that happen again. Reset reset yeah. and similar with the Reading game right you know we, we go right that was weird we should have scored an equalizer we should have scored lows how we lost that game I don't know considering comparing it to the Coventry game where it was quite obvious why we lost the game but yeah. you look at the Reading game and you go okay stuff like this happens in the championship you know it, it, it's it's one of those strange things that continues to to occur just got to keep our heads keep the momentum and continue winning most games and Fulham will be fine um, speaking of the league table, love this tweet from um, Alex at Pure Power, who's a fairly regular uh, question contributor to Fulhamish. And I'm slightly, I was annoyed when I saw this tweet because I knew that this stat was out there. If the playoff table aligned the way it did and I was just too slow on it and Alex was was hot on the money but after Stoke beat QPR and then got into the playoffs which means that the playoffs right now is West Brom, Blackburn, QPR and Stoke City. Uh, Alex tweeted saying Fulham have beaten all four of the teams in the playoff places this season by an aggregate score of 17-1. I mean it's just the most ridiculous stat I've ever heard in my life. 17-1 over four teams. It's an average of over four per club. Yeah, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for everyone else, is it? Looking at that and going, oh, that's that's hit the goal difference hard. Yeah. That's where they are, right? That's just what it is. Coventry would be so I I knew that this stat was kind of close, but Coventry had been lurking in there for weeks. And I was like, this doesn't work if Coventry in there. You can't say, oh, we beat them 14-5. It's not quite the same. And then, um, yeah, it, it happened when when Stoke beat QPR, which is a very, very good win for Stoke and uh, kind of derailed QPR's little promotion push because three points for them would have really um, got them quite close to ourselves and, and definitely Bournemouth. And um, Peter, um, your piece that you wrote um, on Sunday after the match um, got a lot of praise online and rightly so. It was a really, really brilliant piece kind of illustrating all the different narratives. And I, as I always mention on, on the Thursday club, if you want to read it, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod, the ideal little Christmas present. If you've got a Fulham fan in your life who uh, enjoys, um, you know, getting all of the top Fulham analysis. My dad's recently subscribed, by the way, to oh, the... Great. The Athletic Peter, and he, uh, he absolutely loves it. I, I pass on my praise publicly. And um, as it was really interesting looking at the stats and the two ways that the different sides played was really clear, I thought. It really showed how compact Bournemouth were uh, and, and just how Fulham did play at their tactics. And, and even though it could have been very tempting in the second half for just go long ball, hit it to Mitro and try and get flick-ons, Fulham stayed true to themselves right to the very end. Yeah, they were consistent in, in what they wanted to do. And I, I think you can see that from, there's a couple of grabs in the two graphics in there of um, just average positions and heat maps, essentially 
pointing out that, you know, Bournemouth were very compact, which is something that Scott Parker said afterwards that he wanted to do. They wanted to try and get a grip on that midfield, but they didn't weren't really able to do that, to be honest. Fulham was still able to pose problems in wide areas and and you know, they didn't really deviate at all, Fulham, from from the way they like to play. And I think that's what been one of the more consistent elements of of Marco Silva this year. Um we've never really had to question whether there's a plan B. And I suppose that's because plan A is working pretty well. Um, he likes to make tweaks. There's always a tweaks in terms of the type of players he's using. Um, I think once, I think I, I remember at Millwall, I think it was Alfie Mawson who came on late to, to make a five at the back to, 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 uh, to see the game through. But in general, it's always been that four, three, three, hasn't it? It's always been that same sort of setup. Maybe you'll have uh, a, 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 a Chalabar and a Reed one weekend instead of a Decker over Reed and a Kearney. But in, in general, it's been very, very consistent um, and it's been working and, and being able to use that and to dominate teams in that way to be not only effective going forward. We've, we talked about the goals they scored to hit half a century now, haven't they? Which is extraordinary. Um, but also then, you know, among the lowest, the fewest goals conceded in in the division as well. And um, that, that, that combination, um, having both sides, I think was something maybe we didn't all expect. But that's something that's really, really come to fruition. And I think, you know, the, the game itself shows the two different types of managers, really. One's pragmatic and, and one's stuck to, one's got a very clear identity, and which is based on uh, attacking football. And, and that, that was one element to that, to that piece, I suppose. And um, it was funny because obviously the game was, was covered in narrative stuff and piecing that apart and, and, and trying to work out what the feeling was in the place was, was always going to be... Uh, uh, a fun one to write, but I did enjoy Marco Silva's celebration for the goal because he had really tried to shut it all down before in the press conference, which he which you'd expect, you know. He, you know, I think I put in my uh, pre match discussion I had to defrost my laptop afterwards because it was he was just not taking any any bait on Scott Parker questions, anything like that. Um, it's all about the game, all about the tactics, all about that. That's the only things he'd really want to sort of engage on. But then you see see the celebration, and sure, it's a late goal, but. You know, this game meant a little bit more than just just three points as he'd uh, he'd conveyed, and it's always nice when you get those sort of moments. It's like, yeah, we can see that now. Um, but yeah, no, it was a uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I love to Sammy's dad as well. Thank you for subscribing. Ah, he he's very much enjoying it, and he used the code and everything. Um, he uh, he, he might <laughs> might be a bit beyond his years sometimes when it comes to tech, but he somehow managed. He's, even he managed to subscribe to the Athletic nice and easily. So uh, I think if he can subscribe, then anyone can. Um, there was a couple of comments um, on this piece, Peter, that that cracked me up. First, firstly from Matthew L, who just called it the Great Rutzler Derby Write Up, uh, and thanked you for your piece. Uh, and also there was someone called Ernst who said. Um, I accidentally pre that is, uh, and for the context under every athletic article, there's a little, um, there's some smiley faces, which said, what did you think of the story? You can either go meh, solid or awesome. And Ernst gives a big apology because he said he accidentally pressed the solid button, even though this article was nothing short of excellent. So um, Ernst has completely messed up your stats there at Peter. So uh, I imagine it's a big apology from him. It's fine. I, I forgive him. <laughs> uh, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod if you'd like to read that piece. All right, we'll take a break and afterwards we've got some emails. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, everyone. Right, it's time for some of your emails. As ever, we read them out on the Thursday Club uh, and uh, get Jack and Peter's thoughts on them. Uh, it's a welcome return to This Will Catch On, uh, another chance from another Fulhamish listener uh, for us to rate or slate uh, in terms of its likelihood of catching on. Uh, this one is from Colm Magnabola. Uh, who says, we don't have any chance for Tosin Adrabaya, who of course scored on Friday and probably does deserve one, um, or at least anything that has caught on. So how about to the tune of Heartbeat? Remember the uh, the show from, uh, yeah, from the, yeah. the noughties? Yeah, yeah. um, it was, it's quite simple to be fair, actually. This one's not like as complicated. Not like as Maxwell Silver. <laughs> no. Um, it's just Tosin, Adarabayo, you make my heart go. Do, 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 do. That's not I, too bad. It, it, it's, the problem is that like Tosin's surname was so difficult for commentators to pronounce that he actually was like, please stop it. Um, <laughs> and I then was listening to the Hammersmith end attempting to do um, he's magic, you know, Tosin Adarabayo, which doesn't work because there's too many syllables. Um, yeah. Yeah, but listening to that was was genuinely making my heart hurt, my, my head hurt, my heart hurt more. Um, so, I, I mean, I appreciate this, but I think if we're going to write Tosin this song, it might just have to be like resolved around Tosin because I don't think we have the capability within, you know, the vocal range of the fan base to get an Adarabayo going in the in the stands. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I would change the you make my heart go to he makes the whites go. Other than that, Column, I'm going to give that a solid 7 out of 10. I could hear that. I could hear that catching on. As I said, it's not up to us. It's up to the powers that be. But I could hear that catching on. So, Column, thank you for your suggestion. It's not all just me slating your chance every week. Um, right. Next one from Will Kemp says, Hi, lads. Having just watched the Bournemouth match, I wonder, is it worth discussing whether Kearney should be playing more than he is over Seri? I don't mind Seri. And whilst I don't really see what everyone else is raving about, in brackets, he seems to play a safe back pass every time where Kearney will look forwards. I also thought the few crosses that Kearney put in during his short spell on the pitch were really good. I would be interested to hear your views and then he says but i can imagine you will all disagree cheers for the great <laughs> pods lads helps me justify a walk for the dog during these cold dark nights so that's from will kemp do we all disagree as will assumes uh, yes and no i i don't think it's quite as clear cut as a disagree I, I would disagree in terms of i think what seri brings to the side is that constant control of possession that kind of metronomic figure at the base and look i've, I've used the chelsea comparison before about midfield and i make no apologies for it but it, it 
it's one of those things where it does a bit what Jorginho does um, for for Italy, for Chelsea. He just keeps the possession rotating. He keeps it moving. And that's what tires teams out and gives Fulham the space that we need under Marco Silva to expand. Why we're seeing so much more from the wing, from the fullbacks, I should say not wingbacks, but why we're seeing so much more in, the, in those spaces because the way that possession rotates with Serie on the pitch. Now, he's also capable of playing the killer pass. He spreads play really nicely, often to the fullbacks. Um, and so I think that's the argument about what, what Seri brings. But I think that there is also a case that Tom Kearney really does have a place. The, the problem is, I think at the moment, is that Tom Kearney is really, really incredibly useful, as we saw on Friday, when he comes on against a team sitting in deep because he's able to control possession really well in the final third. He's able to pick passes that almost nobody else can pick. Uh, and he's able to thread needles when he's in those positions. When you actually have Tom Kearney in the position that Seri's in, deeper, we didn't see as much from him. We saw that under Parker last time, right? When he was at the bottom of the uh, of the midfield with Harrison Reed there as well. And he basically played as that kind of rotator figure. And actually, I don't think he gets the best at Tom Kearney. Where he's best is when he's controlling the ball, controlling the game in the opposition third and pulling strings in order to directly affect things. So goals, assists, et cetera, et cetera. And to be honest, when he came on and the positions he was getting in on Friday night, I thought we might have a little bit of a Leeds moment going on because he was right in that hole, right in that gap where he likes to be so often. And teams have got so worried about Tom Kenny's shooting ability from that distance that they've started not marking other people, hence the goal. Um, and where he would have maybe shot at that point, a couple of years back, he dinks out the cross and Fulham score from it. Now, it was a couple of those moments. Played a lovely reverse ball. I think it's a Harry Wilson as well on the right-hand side that I remember nearly, nearly coming off and was just picked out at the last minute. And actually, that's, I think, the difference. Seri is a player who you want at the bottom, at the base. You don't want Seri in that advanced 10 role. You want him at the base, spreading play, keeping things recycled and continuing to pile pressure on teams by keeping Fulham in possession of the football. Kenny is much more of a creator in the final third. Um, now, whether you can play them, whether that means you can play them together, I don't know because there is a set kind of structure in where Fulham are in that if Seri's on, we tend to be a bit deeper. Um, but if there is games where Fulham are pushing and pushing and pushing for a goal, yes, you want Tom Kenny on because that's exactly what he brings. The uh, like, I agree with Jack. I think the... We talked about the Seri Kearney sort of dynamic where they are, they're not the same player, but they are similar profiles in terms of how they move. Um, Seri sits deep, he sits in a, in a deeper pocket. Tom Kearney sits in a more advanced pocket. And that's why you probably don't tend to see the two together. And when, when I asked Silver about this a while ago, he sort of acknowledged the fact that they are similar in that sense, in, that, in, that, in their profiles. And you, you will want someone who's dynamic. So maybe with a read in there, you have that. But Again, what Bobby Decker over Reed provide and what Fabio Carvalho provide is that they go beyond Mitrovic. They run in behind, they're looking to score. And when you look back at Silver's teams, they've all sort of tended to be in a similar sort of formation. And the number 10 or the advanced eight tends to be a goal scorer, tends to be someone who runs in behind. And not that Tom Kenny doesn't score goals, but he doesn't score goals necessarily in that way. And I, I think Jack's right um, in terms of where Kenny's effective. That's not to say you couldn't play both. And I think you definitely can in the championship. I don't think the standard is particularly high for players of their caliber. To, and I think they're more than capable of playing together. We saw that in Nottingham Forest. So I don't think that's something that can, you know, necessarily preclude the, the idea of them playing together. But with Seri in particular, since, it's, you know, that was the sort of focus of the question, he's really important to the way Fulham build up. 
He's really critical to their build-up play. I think you watch most of their attacking moves when they start from from deep, from the centre-halves. Normally, it will involve John McElserry in some way. Um, he's very good at picking the pass in final third, sure, but it's, it's it's those constructions. It's moving it from side to side with that pace, that accuracy and that speed. And uh, when you have a player like that, it does make a big, big, big difference. It's why you don't get stodgy possession, stodgy build-up play. Not that Tom Kearney provides that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying what Serry does, does provide. And that's that's probably why he's featured in the six as opposed to someone who's not as creative. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're two, two excellent players. I think Serry's second for assists for Fulham now. I think he's got six this season and Harry Wilson's got seven. So he's also contributing in those, in the, in those areas too. So um, a nice problem to have anyway. I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I think it's absolutely the perfect situation for Fulham because I think we have two midfielders who are, who are, getting slightly older they're not spring chickens and I think that we basically have a solution for kind of every problem Seri and Kearney I actually think both seem to enjoy coming onto games late you saw against Barnsley where Seri came into the game late he was playing against tired legs and suddenly was able to provide that amazing assist for Harry Wilson similar for TC Seri had done a lot of the hard work in the first half where the intensity was really high and then and then Kearney came on against you know a resolute Bournemouth but against tired legs he was given lots of space and and freedom to operate in. And I think if Kearney and Seri can be happy almost with a bit of rotation and often that's going to be in game. So one of them might start, the other one might come on later. I think we actually just have two really, really brilliant creative midfielders who can do slightly different jobs in slightly different, different games. And particularly this season, you're going to lose Seri for a month for AFCON there or thereabouts that will give Kearney a massive opportunity to kind of stamp his authority in the team then Seri will be coming back probably filling in for Kearney when he needs a rest if we can just keep both of them happy and it seems like both of them are happy right now and and even going into next season in the Prem there will be games where you know maybe it's against a relegation threatened team if, if Fulham sorry if Fulham are in the Premier League I have to caveat it where Seri might be more effective because he's got a bit more space but then again we might be against a top six side and then you might need to do something different that's the one of the hardest things about the Premier League with Fulham is that you have to change a game plan because some, some weeks you're facing Man City the next week you're facing Burnley and I think we have two very different options at our disposal and I think that's a fantastic place to uh to be in so thank you for your question Will we didn't all necessarily disagree um so yeah thank you very much for your email uh This one, a little bit less serious from Andrew. He says, Hey guys, love the pod, been an avid listener for a couple of years and can't get enough of it. My question stems from a picture of me being featured on Fulham's tweet about selling out Reading away in brackets, massive club, which I've attached below. I've seen the picture. It's him saying that the Reading tickets are sold out, which sold out quickly, by the way, that caught me by surprise. I just about managed to get one. Someone made a remark about my haircut because I have a mullet and I wanted to know your thoughts on your favourite wacky Fulham hairstyles from down the years. My first thoughts were Louis Saha's trim and Tim Ream's top knot. All the best. Come on, you whites. And that's from Andrew. Um, Jack, uh, this is very much a question up your streets. You are a man that looks after your hair. Uh, Mm. What do you think? You're saying I don't. <laughs> I put a lot of time into mine. <laughs> well, Billard, Billard had his famous locks when, when he played for us, didn't he? So there's one. My favourite Fulham haircut from down the years, apart from maybe Ryan Babble having, you know, that was my shout. shaved hair. Who else had red hair? Was um, Do you remember when Louis Saha dyed his kind of dreads white or blonde? 
Yeah. And he had those for a little while. That was that was a cool haircut. I like that. Um that was that was probably my favourite Saha haircut. Um but there was some I mean we've had some we've had we've had some good ones. I mean, bear in mind we had the legend himself, Harvey Elliott. Yeah. <laughs> Man yeah. of haircuts. Literally building, you know, the the haircut king. Um I interviewed him about this, by the way, and he I basically was like, You had some haircuts? He was like, Yeah, I was just I was just like literally trying to make myself stand out, um, you know, and just trying to get that attention. He was like, I've calmed down now. I just have my hair like slightly more normal. But um, yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? And also, I've, this is a thing, right? Or it definitely used to be in youth players, because when scouts would watch them, it's people with blonde hair find themselves much more like they're much more, your eye is drawn to them more. Um, so a lot of players would dye their hair blonde. Uh, when they were playing youth football because it would attract the eye of the scouts up to the point where obviously more people were then blonde and then he had to go back the other way Um, but that was a thing that that used to happen at youth football because people would want to be picked out by scouts and they'd be like oh that's the blonde lad I'll have him I think my only thought of this is obviously just you know Tom Kearney's hair he is the man that surely takes uh, best care of his hair and also just that wasn't the question if the question was what's the best haircut at Fulham the answer is Tom Kearney sure absolutely 100% (laughs) My other slightly um, left field story I'll never forget when it comes to hair in Fulham was when Tom Huzzleston um, famously went on a scoring drought and he grew his hair out. This He was playing for Hull at the time and he grew his hair longer and longer and longer and longer until he scored. And the far, and the game, of course, where he broke the drought was uh, against Fulham. I think they beat us 6-0. It was over Christmas and it was potentially one of the worst results I ever yeah, it remember. It was Boxing Day, in, wasn't it? Yeah, in a long time. And uh, his celebration was someone going over to him and cutting a piece out of his hair on the side of the pitch. So um, a slightly uh, sadder memory when it comes to hair, but I did see the picture, Andrew, and uh, I enjoyed your mullet very much. Um, if we've missed out any other suggestions of good Fulham haircut, and I know there will be loads and people loads. are going to get in, people are going to message us. Hello at fulhamish.co.uk. We'll read some more out next week. Um, Final email from Matt Belsito, who says, Hey guys, my American buddies and I are heading over to London in April for a stag do. Given that myself and The Bachelor are huge Fulham fans, we're making seeing a match a priority. Can you give some game day guidance for a group of four to five Yankees? What pub, best place to sit, etc. All advice and recommendations, football or otherwise, very appreciated. Huge fan of the pod. Thanks for everything you all do. Now, obviously... We're letting King of the Stag, uh, Drew Heatley, reply to this email, by the way, but... um but we should give some t- tips on here as well. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess for Fulham, right. I would say Hammersmith end, make sure you get the Hammersmith end, right. It's the, it is the, the best atmosphere, but anywhere in the grounds kind of fine. Um, Jack, what would be your kind of go-to ad- bits of advice here? Like what, what pub, if you've got to go to one pub, well, I mean, the the answer is the line, isn't it? But like, I I don't drink in the line because I come from Hammersmith, which is like the opposite end of the world. So it depends where you're coming from. I would suggest if you're trying to do the best to soak up a Fulham match day atmosphere, you do all the things that are expected of a Fulham match day, which include going to Putney or East Putney uh, or, or Putney Bridge, um, yeah. and then going to the line and then walking through Bishop's Park and getting to the ground that way. Um do I think those are the best things to do on a match day if you're going every week? No, like obviously not. It's well hard to get a pint in the line. It's a bit long. And the Duke of Cornwall has much better Guinness. But like on the whole, you know, you, you've got to look at this and go, what are you doing as a one-off match day? The answer is do all the things you're expected to do, which include going to the line, walking through the park, doing all the above. He said April as well, didn't he? So, yes. I mean, nice all the ways in April, which is like an absolute stag hotspot. 
Yes. So, uh, well, I I can testify to that one, Peter. <laughs> I sampled many of those, and I don't remember much of it. So, uh, well, it depends how long you're there for, but it would be a. Uh, I mean, I'll be doing. It'll be doing well to get four or five tickets to the Bournemouth game in yeah, April. To be that, fair, that way and yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that would be my, I, I, I can't disagree too strongly with Jack. I would just sample all the regular things that a Fulham fan should do. I would, I, do you know what? I often think that the slight addition to this, if you want to kind of increase the pub journey, end up at the Lion, but start from Putney Station at the top of the hill and kind of work your way down Putney High Street. There's some good pubs in Putney, kind of sample that, go over the bridge and then go to it that way rather than going from Putney Bridge. And you just kind of, I feel like you miss out on part of the uh, the pub crawl itself. But yeah, uh, I feel like if you're going to do it, go to the line, do it properly. Good tips. Well done, Sam. And wear a Fulham shirt if you want to get into the line. Or <laughs> <laughs> we'll just show your tickets. Yeah, and be prepared to queue. And uh, you might remember for the final question that we got an email from a guy called Matt Littlejohn. And it was the Comedy Central roasting of Sammy James, this one, uh, about Joe Bryan and Anthony Robinson. And... Matt was saying about he couldn't understand why I liked Joe Bryan so much and why Anthony Robinson seemed to get such a hard time from people on the pod and people just generally on Twitter. Um, And we discussed it to death last Thursday, but actually, Jack, um, you were saying that you'd found a couple of interesting statistical nuggets uh, about Anthony Robinson and his effectiveness going forward. I've got something for uh, Matt, actually, um, in terms of the, well, in terms of Anthony Robinson and Anthony Robinson, I've been looking at some stats. Uh, I've been actually looking at stats from a bloke called IO Orms on Twitter. His name is Lou. He's a Watford fan, but he's been doing some championship stats. Uh, we I recreated know. one of them on, on Fulhamish very recently. And it shows that Anthony Robinson is the most creative, right, uh, well, most creative fullback in the league, with the exception of... Kenny Tete, who's had far less minutes on the pitch and therefore it's a little bit different. Um, he is still up with above nine successful defensive actions, which is above more than half um, in terms of defensively. But he is so far and away above the average of anybody else in the championship, the two of them, to be honest, um, in terms of key passes per 90 minutes, um, that Fulham's fullback strategy is working. Interestingly, Dennis Adoy is on here as well. He defensively... Looks okay in terms of these numbers, um, but going forward is offering almost a key pass less per game than uh, Kenny Tete. Uh, Adoy is on 0.2 and Kenny Tete uh, is on 1.23 key passes per game, which is pretty mad, actually. Pretty mad numbers. Uh, Robinson is on 1.11. Yeah, we we talked about, um, just before we came on the podcast, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I think the stats have changed. I haven't got them in front of me, but Robinson was among not just most creative fullbacks in uh, uh most creative fullbacks in the championship but most creative players full stop in the championship per 90 minutes in terms of chances created so he's certainly having an impact in the final third and obviously that debate won't necessarily go away and I think it's it's difficult to assess Joe Bryan on the basis of Bournemouth when you're thrown in like that and the circumstances with Robinson being ill is what I was told and it, that makes it it's never an easy game, is it? Particularly when they play Bournemouth play the way they do, where they stuck their forwards out on the on the fullbacks, almost yeah. pointedly, I suppose. Um, I think they they both offer different things. You guys covered it really well in the podcast uh, over the weekend. You know, they're different profiles of fullbacks, the different players. Uh, I think Robinson suits more what Silver wants to do in terms of going beyond and going break into the byline. Um, 
but you know, that, I, I think we talked about it last time as well. That there is a, there is scope for for Brian to get more minutes. He's a good fullback. He's twenty eight. There will be a question about him because he's not playing as much as he probably should be at this point in time. So, um, yeah, be interesting to see. But clearly, clearly, you know, Robinson does have an impact. Obviously, there are areas to refine, but he's a he's an influential player. Well, Matt, uh, you've obviously got two bites of the cherry at uh, your question that you sent in last week. We also got an email, Matt, uh, and I, I have messaged him privately about this, but um, from a guy called Tony Harrison, who heard that Matt lives in Washington, D.C., uh, and he didn't know any other Fulham fans, so wanted to suggest his Fulham in the South International Supporters Club, uh, which is based uh, just outside of Washington, DC and um, you know they're really really active international supporters club uh, they've done lots of uh, meet watch parties as they call it to, to watch different Fulham games and they've been involved with Fulham fans from Italy um, and he did suggest that it's worth potentially doing a segment on the podcast about international supporters clubs and that's definitely something that I would um, absolutely love to do later in the season so shout out to uh, all our Fulham fans in DC and uh, yeah definitely I think it might be an interesting one to try and speak to international Fulham supporters on an, on an upcoming Thursday club, uh, potentially when there isn't a, a massive game uh, coming up on a Thursday. Uh, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be nice, maybe one after Christmas. Okay, we're going to take a break and then afterwards we're going to look ahead to Luton. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's look ahead then to Luton Town at the weekend. Kenilworth Road. Uh, there's going to be a thousand Fulham fans heading. That's the allocation that we get. Uh, there'll be a thousand Fulham fans walking through those little terrace houses down the uh, down the alleyway underneath the washing uh, to uh, get to the away stand uh, at Kenilworth Road. And Peter, this is really an opportunity for Fulham to get back to winning ways. As much as there's been extenuating circumstances around it, it has been three draws in a row for Fulham. Um, and even though we're 10 unbeaten, I think it's really important for Fulham to get back to winning ways this weekend and just kind of get the ball rolling again in terms of picking up regular consecutive three points. Sure. I think when when you're on a run of three straight draws, you're always on that sort of precipice of becoming four games without a win. 
particularly if you lose. And um, as you say, Sammy, it's, it's important to get back to winning ways, get back into the rhythm of, of winning matches, because I'm sure the teams at the top are, are not going to keep slipping up. Obviously, we saw West Brom and Blackburn start winning again. Um, I'm sure Bournemouth will get back to winning ways eventually as well. So, um, no, you, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it'll be a difficult test. I think Luton have been a bit up and down this season. I mean, they've had some excellent results. I think they beat uh, Coventry 5-0, uh, if I remember rightly. Yeah, they Sorry. did. Which is kind of underlines the, how impressive they can be. We know how how good Coventry can be too. So, uh, But then they've also just come off the back of uh, four games without a win. Obviously, they beat Blackpool away 3-0, which, which Fulham found difficult themselves. So all, all the hallmarks for it being a, a tough game, even more so with with Elijah Adebayo up front, obviously a full, former Fulham grad um, who's, a, who's a scored nine goals this season already, which is... Um, a really impressive return um, in his first full season in, in, in the championship. So he'll be, uh, he'll be out to, uh, to, to get on the score sheet. I, I spoke to him before the game. So the piece will be out today, Thursday. So um, you can read that and, and see what he's been up to about his sort of career journey. And um, there's no grudges against Fulham, but um, certainly will be, will be one to watch in attack. Big, big imposing, um, good finisher as well. Yeah, I mean, Jack Fulham found it difficult when we went to Luton uh, a couple of years ago. Different side, different strategies, etc. It was actually a very entertaining game. It was a three-all draw on Boxing Day and Fulham mm. managed to kind of snatch it late. But we know that this is a difficult ground to go to. Um, there has been just really mixed fortunes about Luton. I mean, Peter mentions that, that they beat Coventry 5-0 but they also lost 5-0 here to Birmingham City this seems like a remarkably inconsistent team a bit like the Preston one that we faced a few weeks ago we have absolutely no idea what we're going to get basically yeah absolutely spot on um and you know there was only a month between those two results if, I, if I'm not mistaken it was yeah. sort of start of the season kind of vibes they had a 3-0 I mean I was going to point this out this they had a 3-0 with Swansea which went in remarkably similar fashion to our one with them, um, where they, you know, threw away a pretty comfortable lead, you know, at one point to to let Swansea get back into it and take a point away. So yeah. there was a, a point here where you look at this Luton side and you go, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get. Um, it, it, it does feel increasingly like that. QPR dispatched them relatively comfortably um, in mid-November, which was um, a sensible result. And then obviously they go up in there and, and get that result against Blackpool, which I don't think anyone was expecting. Um, so... Yes, it's, it's a strange side. They play sort of variations on a 3 4 3, um, is what we've seen across the kind of season. It's sort of, we've seen a 3 5 2 at times as well, but it is about if we can shut down Adebayo, I think. And, and when you look at it, and, you know, maybe Luton are a little bit in his, in his image. And I talked about him with Ali Waxwell on Ranks earlier this year about a player that potentially has a really high ceiling, but we're just not completely sure because it's been such a small sample size and still relatively inconsistent during that sample size. Um, now, obviously, it's against his old club, point to prove, et cetera, et cetera. We saw all those narratives fail to play out on Friday night. We you know, hope they fail to play out again uh, at the weekend. But on the whole, you look at this and just think, there's plenty of there's plenty of room to slip up here. I'm not quite sure what to make of this Luton side. They haven't been brilliant. They've had moments and then they've had moments where they look absolutely like they're playing five-a-side Sunday league hungover. Um, and, you know, and, and that's as, you know, as kind of opaque as I can make it. I have no idea what side we're going to see here turn up. With Preston, I think we thought they were going to dig in a little bit and, do, and, and be defensive. We thought they were going to be able to shut things down from that perspective. Not that they were going to be particularly potent in attack and it turned out they weren't. 
yes, they were better than I think perhaps we gave them slight credit for on the podcast beforehand, but we kind of knew where they were going to get to or what they were going to try and achieve. I, I don't know what this Luton side are going to try and do at home. Their strategy seems to veer wildly from game to game in terms of what, whether they're trying to be defensively compact or try and outscore teams 4-3. It's just a really odd unit, um, but I do think they can be got at. That's my main takeaway, and, and I'm hoping that Fulham will be able to get back to winning ways this weekend. I mean, the great thing for Luton, they're in 12th. Um, they're 12 points clear of of the relegation places. They're, they're only actually six points off the playoffs. I, I feel like they seem too inconsistent to actually make that playoff picture. But I think for, there's for a Luton, lot of playoff, there's a lot of teams in that playoff picture who are, are inconsistent. You know, we, we, we can't write them all off. And I was looking at Millwall the other day and going, oh, Millwall are two points off. Well, we're well, four points off now that Stoke have won. Um, but the Millwall yeah. have kind of been a bit all over the place. And yet there they are, you know, two places off the off the playoffs in the table, you know, two two wins away from from making their way into that. And and so I think it is a, a really open and Luton are only two points by Millwall. So, you know, it's a really open league, a really strange little place at times. Um, but we'll we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, indeed. And um, from a Fulham perspective, Peter, um, you mentioned that Anthony Robinson was ill for that game against Bournemouth. Um, assuming that illness is now over, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back into the starting eleven. And I'd like to see Kenny Tete back in at, at right back. I found that really, really surprising that he didn't get the nod against Bournemouth. Um, Silver does seem to be really sticking with Adoy and really does like Adoy. So maybe it's one of those that as much as the fan base kind of would like to see Kenny Tete, that Silver doesn't seem to have some real trust in him. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing is Silver's not one to make a change because he can make the change. You know, if you're doing well, I think I think Adoy did pretty well out of the back four at Preston. I think it wasn't the best performance overall, but Adoy was was pretty pretty good. And um and I think that's that's kind of what we've seen with him really. And and I think that's that's quite important for a squad like Fulham have, you know, that if you have the shirt and you're not doing anything to lose the shirt, then you know you, you don't just lose your place because because you there's a you know a supposedly better player on the bench. Um, I do think you know we we talked about the statistics. We know what Kenny Teta can offer. I think it's important that he gets a run of games soon as well. I think there is that side to it. So maybe there is there is scope for change there. But I think that that sort of principle seems to apply across the board. You know we we saw Silver's reluctance to make changes um, between Derby and Preston. So you know it's it's a similar kind of kind of vein in in that area. I think I think. It's, it's difficult to see the other changes, to be honest, because I still felt that the team did well against against Bournemouth overall. I think it seems quite set. I, there's no screaming change. Maybe Bobby Deckard over Reed is the one, um, maybe who could come in. Uh, I think Nathan Jones's teams tend to work quite hard. They're quite high pressing, um, and I think he he thrives in that kind of environment. And, and we saw the impact he had against Bournemouth, sort of changing that attacking dynamic when he came on as well as uh, Tom Kearney, of course, who, who, who set up the goal. So I think maybe that there's room there, but you just don't ask me who he comes in for because I couldn't tell you. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Three o'clock on Saturday uh, for Luton versus Fulham. Uh, if you've managed to bag yourself a ticket and there's been actually a bit of disquiet over the way that these tickets were allocated. There was no loyalty points used for it. Um, I know several people in Fulhamish who have been a bit caught out by this and the club's response seems to be that they didn't realise that it was going to sell out. And quite frankly, if you can't see that a game just before Christmas with a thousand allocation just outside the N25 was going to sell out, then 
frankly, that seems like a little bit of an oversight. Um, so if you didn't get a ticket, I can totally understand your frustration uh, in that one. It seemed like a completely ridiculous decision, but hey, it's happened. So it's not going to change now. So uh, however you're watching it on Saturday, hopefully Fulham can get the three points. Jack, thank you very much for being on the pod. Thank you for having me, Sammy, as ever. And Peter, uh, we might not see you back on the pod for a couple of weeks. You're, you're just starting your Christmas break, maybe just after Christmas. So uh, if we don't see you before then, have a lovely uh, have a lovely break. Yeah, freedom for you guys. Don't have to deal with me for the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, not what, that's not what I'd call it. I'd call it um, more work. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we still have the we still have pieces from the games, and there'll be loads of stuff on uh, on the athletic as well. Yeah, holiday from the podcast, not holiday from from writing <laughs> at just, all. I've had enough of you guys. I'm taking some leave. Just taking some um, leave, not gardening leave. It was a big emotional couple of weeks with the Rutzler derby. You just need a couple of weeks to decompress and uh, and to go again. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Have a great weekend. Fingers crossed. It's plus three on Saturday. You whites. You whites. Yeah.